from worlds beyond to right at the gaming table. These are all my fantasy children. Celeste Silverna, The End of the Ley Lines, Part 6, Pride. Chuk, 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 chuk. The shadow trolley sped through the tunnel, carrying a single passenger. Fidgeting on the crunchy red pleather seats, we see a young girl with two small horns, clutching an ornate wand tightly in her hand. It's our hero, Celeste Silverna, sitting cross-legged in a passenger car. From her seat, she studied the long metal room. For clarification, visually, the shadow trolley is not different from any other train in our world. Nothing out of the ordinary visually, unless you were like Celeste and have never rode on or seen a train before. But in her car, there were several rows of identical seats, doors on opposite ends of the room connecting to other train cars, and a digital display above each door showing the name of the next stop on the line, which at the moment seemed to be out of order. What was unusual, though, was the sounds she could hear in the shadow trolley. There were, of course, the typical chugs of wheels moving along tracks, the occasional squeaks and groans of machinery, but just beneath those sounds was a constant buzz. Even Celeste, with her limited experience, knew that this was not a sound created by machines. There was a tingling crackle tied to this buzz that let her know it was something magical, she guessed. She had experienced this buzzing sound, this sensation, whenever she had been close to the great magenta horse. She recalled a hum that emanated from it that warmed her body like a hug from a loved one. This hum, buzz, whatever, was quite different. It was as annoying as a fly by your ear. To Celeste, the sound was more like the rattling of a cage than a warm hug. It just sounded wrong. She couldn't put her finger on it, but she knew this train was hurting something. Celeste placed her hand on the floor beneath her to try and see if the sound was coming from its machinery. But when all five of her fingers made contact with the cold metal floor, she began to hear them. Celeste quickly pulled her hand away as the sounds of thousands of whispered voices, their words unintelligible, spoke in a chilling chorus. The constant buzz and the endless whispers created a sort of low ambient music in the train car. It wasn't overwhelming by any stretch of the imagination. Celeste had seen her fair share of scary stuff by now, but good god did she find it really annoying and just kind of creepy. Man, the shadow trolley sucks. No wonder Mr. Seven told me to avoid it. But cutting through the eerie chorus of the shadow trolley was a ring from the digital display. In bright yellow letters, the words Sea of Sorrow scrolled across the small panel. Sea of Sorrow, Celeste said. And information flooded back into her mind. She could hear the words of Headless Seven during his several-day fantasy history lesson. She recalled Seven doing his folksy, silly routine until one particular part in the story, when Seven's goofy tone faded away for the first time. Everybody likes her story. They're like fan favorites and stuff. But anyway, I digress. Celeste, gods were real once, or so the people of fantasy thought. He continued on, recounting the events of the calamity known as the Nocturne. So as the Nocturne played, 
the seas became perfectly still, halting the elven tides. But the cost was great, and fantasy was almost destroyed by the freeze brought by the song. That is until Arthur, the azure jewel of the sky, traveled to Moon Crescent to duel the composer of the nocturne, Nymphaeolacus, the Perilun, jewel of the sea. Beneath the perpetual night sky, the two battled atop the surface of the stilled ocean. The moon was their audience, watching from high above. It trembled in fear as it saw two beings, for the very first time, wield the power meant to protect fantasy against one another. It would not be the last time, but that's another story for another day. Ultimately, Arthur was victorious, and as Nymphaea fell, the water rose to catch her. The music of the nocturne fell silent, the tides returned, and as the waves resumed their push and pull, the water cradled the queen in its arms and carried her down to her final resting place beneath the waves. The sight of that duel became the Sea of Sorrow where the world was changed forever. Oh, Celeste, come on, you don't have to applaud me. You know I just like to tell stories. Back on the shadow trolley, Celeste thought, well, at least she was going to Moon Crescent, I guess. But up to this moment, she hadn't really thought about what awaited her there. Probably more of those powerful arcana goons. Why the heck are they trying to kill me? She wondered. It was a running theme as of late person appears, probably been looking for her, wants to destroy her. It's bananas. She's like trying to restore the power to primordial beasts and use their power to heal the planet or something. So why the heck would anyone want to stop her? Unless they... Celeste remembered her battle with the two known as Chariot and Hermit in the tunnel. That green light, she thought. It's the same light from that day at the well. Are they drawing power like I do, but from the great shadow? Mr. Seven told me it was really a powerful demon lord that was sealed way eons ago. So one, that means my house was totally built on top of the side of an ancient battle, which is cool. But also, that definitely means a demon has been beneath my house my entire life, which... Celeste was hit with a sudden realization. A well. A special well. Every night we would draw special water from it, drink it as a family. Oh, she felt sick. An idea that Celeste had tossed around ever since she spoke with Seven reappeared in her mind. A thought she pushed out over and over. A question. But no, 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 push it out, Celeste. Push it out, Celeste. No, no, but now it was here. It was here. Why the heck did we drink that? That water, that, if ruin is, is the land of a demon, mom and dad said the water was the reasons Silverna lived so dang long, but why were we drinking? No way! Do I have like in me? Am I, am I a, no? A voice answered back from the door behind her. Celeste leaped out of her seat into the aisle. Tears in her eyes, wand drawn, energy crackling all around her. What now? God, can't anyone just leave me alone? Let me guess, you want this wand and you want to kill me? She pointed the wand toward the speaker. Their back turned to Celeste. Well, let me tell you, everyone who has tried so far has failed, so you may want to rethink your next move. 
Just walk out that door and leave me alone. Tears poured down the young girl's face. The figure in the doorway spoke. Be at peace, O child of ruin. You are no demon. You walk the path between light and shadow. The road that will lead this world into the future. She turned to face Celeste. She was a dragonkin, dressed in a robe of such beautiful red that shined like a burning flame. Celeste took a breath to speak, but found she could not. Path between light and shadow. Celeste felt hot. Very hot. The dragon smiled, and the heat intensified. It was radiating from her. The flame-like patterns on the dragon's beautiful robes began to flicker and dance as Celeste stood frozen in awe of the being before her. She could feel this immeasurable power within this person, a force that emanated from her that was beyond anything she had felt before. Celeste tried to move her wand and realized why she was frozen. There was a weight pressing down on her on all sides, as if this person was affecting gravity itself. Celeste started to slide. Her boots scraped along the metal floor towards the dragon. As she moved, she noticed it. A rough-cut crystal hanging from a simple leather band hung around the dragon's neck. This pendant, Celeste was fascinated by it. She could not look away, and as she focused her gaze onto the prism, the dark chorus of the shadow trolley faded. It was as if the entire world faded. Her worries, her fears, her sense of self. The crystal began to emit its own hum. The colors of the dragon's robe shifted from red to every color imaginable. Celeste had never witnessed such beauty. The colors swirled and flew through the fabric. Soon, everything within Celeste's view began to distort and melt away. The walls of the train peeled and faded, revealing a vast black void. The floor beneath her disappeared beam by beam until Celeste and the dragon were floating in an endless abyss of stars and galaxies. The dragon spoke once more. Hello, little light. Long ago, I was known as many things. The flare star, the jewel of the sun, the dragon queen. But you, you may call me Lumina. I have returned to this world to grant you aid. Celeste stared out at the infinite before her, trying to make sense of the awesome sight. The flash of a shooting star startled her as it raced on its journey toward another world. Its icy tail made her shiver as it passed. The star shined so clearly from this place. Wait, she recognized the patterns of the constellations? I'm in the Natska, she thought. The candle-like flames of the great constellations burned bright in her face. Celeste felt as she was being watched. The eyes of those who have come before you are upon you, little light. 
They watch and see what you will do. She chuckled to herself, and that was weird, in a goofy voice, and said, Better not let them down. (laughs) Gosh, I'm just kidding. I don't know how anybody keeps up that ominous routine in this world. Hey, Celeste, I'm Illumina Dawnspear. Did old Seven tell you about me? (laughs) I'm sure he did. Isn't he great? Just adore him. Love that guy. You know, I taught him everything he knows, right? Did he mention that? I'm sure he left that part out of his magical storytelling. (laughs) Oh, what a goober. I haven't seen him in years. Oh, yeah. You probably met Delta, too. Sorry, could never get to that one. Make them better. But great battle prowess, but kind of a loose cannon, you know? I always thought that Delta had so much promise as a leader. So when I gave them the opportunity to lead the Knights of Dragon, I did not expect them to do what they did. If you know the history, then you'll know what happened, if you know what I mean. (laughs) Oh, gosh. Anyway, Celeste's jaw hung open. What? It was a pretty dramatic shift in energy all of a sudden. Imagine if a person with the aura of the literal sun suddenly became, well, to Celeste, it was as if Mr. Seven was right in front of her. But like a more polished version, like the biggest version of Seven she could ever imagine. This was no doubt the mentor of the legendary talking knight, Headless Seven. The resemblance was uncanny. She even finished her rant exactly as he would, very suddenly and with a dramatic shift in energy, but she definitely knew who this was. Seven had, in fact, told Celeste all that he knew about her, which, to be honest, was very little, but as she looked into the eyes of this dragonkin queen, she could not imagine her creating the region known as the Vale, training the Knights of Dragon, or leading her forces at the Battle of Iron Hill. Her eyes were just so sad. She floated over to Celeste and knelt down. Oh, Celeste, it has been so very long since I've been to this world. So very long. But your pain, your worries, your fears about who you are, I felt them from across the cosmos. I felt them and I knew I had to return to fantasy. As I arrived, I saw what had happened to the world I was created to protect, and uh, I am filled with a deep guilt. In my selfish absence, the world has suffered greatly, and I am afraid there is little I can do to save it. But you, you are what this world needs. She took a beat, floated away from Celeste, and gazed off into the void with her hands held behind her back. But first, we must speak of what brought me here. The fears you have about yourself. Am I to understand you think you may be a... demon? Celeste thought for a moment and nodded. Lumina continued, the lights of twinkling stars and distant worlds reflected in her eyes. When we first spoke, I told you that you walk the path between light and shadow. That you were no demon. And I meant that, Celeste. In my travels across the many realms of existence, I have learned many things. When I was on fantasy, I believed that the power I and my four colleagues possessed was that of light, of good, of righteousness, whatever you wish to call it, and that the power of our enemies, Serath the Carrion King, and their demon minions, was shadow or evil. As time went on, I began to see that the power both sides wield is neither inherently good or evil. 
Celeste, did you know that across all realms and planes, there are two forces that are a common thread between them? All things are made of one of these two energies. They are chaos energy, the power known as magic that is supplied by the ley lines of fantasy, the other being order energy, as most understand it, the demon power. But in actuality, it is the power granted from forces originating in the cosmic plane, where we lie in the material. Now, Celeste looked understandably very confused. People in fantasy who are not plane-walking primordial beings like Lumina Dawnspear have absolutely no knowledge of what the ley lines really are, the cosmic sisters Aether and Astra, or how their energies manifest in fantasy at all. Now, I don't want to go into too many details, but understand that chaos and order, while they've existed in opposition since, well, always, they are simply energy. Almost everyone in fantasy wields the power of chaos and the magic they use, and those known as the Arcana, whom you met in the tunnel, wield order energy. Could the people in fantasy use magic for evil? Oh, heck yes, they can, and they do quite often. Could the Arcana use their order energy for good? Heck yeah, they could, but they don't. Why? Because of who they are because of what is in their heart, because what they seek. This is what matters. Not the type of energy you wield, but what you do with it, Celeste. Now on to you, miss. Being a being of fantasy, you are a being of chaos. But since you spent your days in ruin and drank from water filled with order energy, well, you're now somewhere in between. The best of both worlds. You walk the path between light and shadow. How cool! You're able to wield both freely. And because of that balance within you, you are without a doubt the most powerful being in the cosmos. I'm not joking. Well, maybe not right now, but <laughs> you will be. From the Cosmic Sisters, to the legendary ass Arcana Dimday, to Conjure, to me and old Arthur, not a single solitary being has ever been able to walk the path that you do. So no, you're not a demon. You're the best of us, Celeste. That's why you have to restore not just light to fantasy, but heal the damage done by eons of conflict and opposition. And for that... We are sorry. Now, you're almost at your stop, so I have to be quick. Oh yeah, whoops, um, by the way, you're still on the train. Hee <laughs> hee, crazy how that happens. Lumina became very serious. The Great Shadow, Serath, the Carrion King, the ancient evil that I once helped seal away has revived. You are going to have to face every single member of the Greater Arcana before you can challenge Sarath, the Greater Arcana will follow you until you and your wand are destroyed. Celeste shook her head. Who are they anyway? Lumina huffed and <laughs> crossed her arms. They are those who willingly accept power from Sarath 
sycophants of that fool Arcana Dimde, the servant of Sarath. They know your power and fear it. You are all that stands in the way of their goal of destroying the five ley lines and ruling this world for their carrion king. Find the other four hearts of the ley line. Gather their power in your wand and wield it. Heal this broken world. She floated over to Celeste and booped her on the nose. Don't you worry about that power of yours, O oh child of ruin. Your home, your family, your heritage, it's what granted you this strength. It is who you are that has gotten you where you are today. Walk your path with pride, Celeste. Celeste thought of ruin, her home, her parents. Pride and courage swelled within her. Ooh, look at you, having a revelation, getting all powerful, unlocking some potential. I wonder who helped you out with that. Oh yeah, me. <laughs> she flashed that same sad smile. No matter what she said or did, nothing could hide the deep sadness in Lumina Dawn Spears' eyes. Celeste, all those who have ever stood in the face of evil are with you. Now, you may want to cover your eyes for a second. The prism around Lumina's neck released a brilliant light. Celeste ah, shielded her eyes. But the last thing she could make out in the blinding light was the smiling face of Lumina Dawnspear and a single tear rolling down her cheek. Chuk, 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 chuk. Celeste rubbed her eyes. Ah, so bright. Bonk. Ow! Her forehead clanked against the window next to her seat. It was daylight. She was back on the train and out of the tunnel. Ding, 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 ding. In bright yellow letters, the words Sea of Sorrow scrolled across the small display panel above the door. Celeste rose to her feet, looked at her reflection in the glass window, and noticed something new about herself. When the sunlight hit her eyes, they shone with the colors of the rainbow. Just like Lumina's robes. She smiled and winked to herself before taking steps toward the door. Mom. Dad. I walk this path that you paved for me. And I won't let you down. <laughs>